Welcome to the Nurse Becoming podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Guarneri from the Resume RX, and this is the podcast that's dedicated to empowering and encouraging nurses along your path of professional and self discovery. As a nurse practitioner, mom, and business owner, I'm on a mission to help you figure out how to leave your lasting impact on the world, all while bravely and fearlessly growing along the way. Join me for honest conversations and inspiring stories about personal and professional growth, all through the lens of nursing. Hello, hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Nurse Becoming Podcast. It's your host, Amanda Guarneri. I hope you are off to a wonderful December as we get closer to the holidays. I'm really looking forward to this holiday season. Personally, I I really try to be very intentional about my time and take some space to really celebrate holidays with family and get all cozy and watch movies and drink hot chocolate. And I'm really really looking forward to all that. Today's episode is another new grad nurse practitioner roundtable discussion. And, you know, the episodes that we've had so far from the previous roundtables have been so popular. I know that a lot of you, my listeners, enjoy hearing from new nurse practitioners, their real experiences. And as I said in in the talk, you'll hear me say in this interview, you know, I'm not really qualified anymore to give you my firsthand experience because it's been over 10 years since I've been in this position. So it's really a joy to me to be able to interview new grad NPs who are out there doing the thing and going through the transitions in real time so that they can relate their experiences to you. And today's talk is actually a recording from the first NP Society virtual conference that we held back in October. And one of our sessions was this new grad NP panel discussion. So you'll hear me facilitating discussion between four different new graduates who were so kind to dedicate their time to this talk. They're all members of the NP Society and volunteered to share their experiences live in front of all of our conference attendees. So I'm excited for you to hear that if you weren't at the conference or or even if you were, it may be helpful to listen to this again, because this was such a valuable discussion. And something else that I want to point out that we had a wonderful sponsor at our conference that I wanted to give a shout out to here on the podcast as well. Sarah Michelle and P Reviews sponsored one of the speed networking events at our conference back in October. And I want to tell you a little bit about this company. Sarah Michelle founded NP Reviews, and it's a test prep company for primary care nurse practitioners that really centers around confidence building and dampening down exam day anxiety. And this is really what sets them apart from other programs is that this isn't just you know, how to learn and prepare the content for the test. She really teaches how to prepare yourself for test taking on exam day. And while knowing that content is half the preparation for passing boards, great anxiety management strategies is always the other half. So if that is you, if you know that you have test day anxiety and you know that's something that you need to overcome, I really recommend that you check out Sarah Michelle's programs. And you can follow her individually on Instagram at Sarah Michelle NP, or you can head to her website for her company, npreviews.com. So I hope you enjoy this episode, this recording of our new grad NP roundtable from the 2021 NP Society Virtual Conference. All right. The gang's all here. Wonderful. Um, so everybody, welcome to our new grad NP panel discussion. Uh, I wanted to include this as part of the conference because I know that we have a fair number of new providers as attendees, and I wanted to really feature some voices and real experiences from some new grads themselves because I'm no longer qualified to to really speak from personal experience on the topic. So basically the, the format of the session, how it will work, first we'll have everyone introduce themselves one by one. And then I have some general questions that we'll just kick off and start a discussion with. 
So we have four attendees with us today. We have Alyssa Wong, we have Mona Blackwell, Allie Norris Fag, and Shelby Pope, who I am very excited to introduce to you. So I'll kind of call on you one by one. And if you can introduce yourself to the audience and um, tell us who you are, when you graduated from school, your NP specialty, and your current position or your current kind of trajectory on your new grad journey, that would be great. And Alyssa, you're on the top of my screen. So we'll start with you. Hi, my name is Alyssa. Um, I graduated in May of 2020 um, with my DNP. So I went straight through and did my FNP to DNP. So I got my FNP and I work for a federally qualified health center um, in Fairfax, Virginia. Well, actually my office is in Alexandria um, outside of Washington, DC. Wonderful. Thanks, Alyssa. Allie, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, so I'm Allie. I am, live in Indiana. I graduated um, in May of this year with my family nurse practitioner, um, and I'm currently working in hematology oncology. Uh, it's going on three months, so it's exciting and hard and all the things. <laughs> you're you're right in the thick of that um, of that new of that new time period. So I'm sure we'll hear more um, about how things are going. Shelby, will you introduce yourself, please? Hello, everyone. I'm Shelby. I just graduated in May of this year with my DNP as well, and I'm a family nurse practitioner in rural Oklahoma. Wonderful. Um, going on three months, just like Allie. Wonderful. Awesome. And Mona. Hello, everyone. I'm Mona. I am graduated from Chamberlain College of Nursing uh, end of June of this year. I live in Lawrenceville, Georgia, and I currently work at a clinic, uh, a geriatric clinic, as a team nurse as of yesterday, but I'll be transitioning to an MP role on Monday. Yeah, and I'm excited. Awesome. Welcome. I asked Mona to participate, you know, when I first asked, Mona said, well, I'm not really, I won't have started my NP job yet. And I thought this would actually be a really great opportunity. And, and Mona was willing to share about kind of being right on the cusp of, of that first day. So happy to have you um, and happy to have everybody. So the first question that I have, I would love to know how everyone found their positions how did you choose the position that you're in and how long did it take? And if whoever feels comfortable going first, just wants to go ahead, we can do it um, that way so that I don't have to call in everyone. I can go first. Sure. Um, so I, the hospital I worked for, um, HCA, I used their tuition reimbursement. And so when I was, when I was getting close to graduation, I was kind of concerned that I'd have to pay that back because there weren't really any open positions available. But I talked to our physician recruiter um, and just said, hey, I'm getting ready to graduate. I'm interested in primary care, but, um, you know, I'm open to anything. So, um, you know, I gave her my resume, all that. Um, they didn't have any primary care availability at that time. Um, but it turns out that the there were two MDs at the hematology oncology area, and one of them was moving. Um, and they've had nurse practitioners before. Um, and so they were looking for another one. And I've worked with the physician before, not like super close, but, you know, I really liked him and felt like he would be a good fit. And so I, you know, I interviewed just to see what their expert expectations were and whatnot. And even though that is not my background whatsoever, um, I decided it would be a really good experience to at least get my, you know, foot in the door and get some experience. And that's how I ended up there. Awesome. Who would like to go next? I'll go next. So my nurse practitioner school was a traditional brick and mortar school that actually um, organized all of our clinical experiences for us. So we didn't have to do it. Um, I didn't love that because I know a lot of PAs and um, nurse practitioners that have acquired employment through their clinical experiences. So I actually just went to the, my director of nursing and was like, hey, can I handle my own clinicals? And she allowed it. So I kind of set like a radius to where I live because I knew my husband and I live on 20 acres in rural Oklahoma and I knew I would not want to commute for um, long drives um, in order to work as a nurse practitioner. So the closest clinic to my house is like five minutes and it just, it was kind of lucky. Honestly, the clinic is part of the large health system that I've worked for the entire time I've been a nurse. So I, I went there and, and the nurse practitioner that works there currently was actually my nurse practitioner and she saw 
my family. I was like, hey, can I do some clinical hours with you? And she was willing. Um, and I ended up doing, I think, like 700 of my clinical hours there at that clinic. Um, and then they happened to offer me a position my second year of school and then held that position for a year for me um, to start. So a lot of luck, I think. A lot of luck for sure. And that's where I am now in rural Oklahoma. That's awesome. Thanks, Shelby. And I think, you know, the the point that I, if for anyone who's a student and, you know, sometimes we, oftentimes we say it's kind of a bummer to have to arrange your own clinical sites. Um, I think Shelby, your example is, is really a good example of how having control over your clinical sites can potentially really work uh, in your favor in the long run. So, you know, if you're in a program and you're, you're bummed about having to find clinical sites, you know, reframing that into, you know, the type of opportunity where you can have some control over the potential outcome, I think is really helpful. So who would like to go next? I worked actually um, in real estate finance before I went to nursing school. So I kind of did a lot of networking in my previous career, which I think has been helpful to me. So I really wanted to work for this organization. Um, It's kind of the population that I really um, like working with. And I thought it'd be a great place to learn. Um, And I'd emailed the recruiter once before and didn't hear anything back and happened to email her again. So I graduated in May of 2020, but just because of COVID and whatnot, um, you know, I worked a a three-month stint at like kind of a NP, but not so NP job. And then I was kind of looking back in February. So I've been at my job for like six months now. And so it happened that she was out of town and they got bumped up to like the main recruiter and uh, she bumped it up to the medical director of my resume. And one of my friends from school, who's like in a, in a nurse manager role was like uh, the, the medical director asked her about me. And because, you know, we were friends, she, she got back to her right away, had a nice conversation. And then I actually started out working in vaccine clinic. Um, so for like four or five months, I just did COVID vaccines and then uh, transitioned over to seeing patients in uh, the summer. So all that to say that, you know, I, I went in kind of not knowing how long I was going to be in vaccines, which was a little bit nerve wracking to me, but thought that I would take the chance because I wanted to be here, but also, you know, some amount of persistence because just emailing the HR person back and some amount of kind of like who I knew combination of things ended me up here. Love it. I love, I love stories, stories like that, that are, you know, not like I saw this job online, I applied, I had an interview and I got it, you know, like there's, there's so much more dimension to it. And I think that's a really good example. Mona, tell us about your um, journey in finding your job. Yeah, sure. So five years ago, I was um, doing some traveling as a travel critical care nurse. After a while, I decided that I was like, okay, I really need to think about what I want to do next and what is what is going to be my next step. So I I definitely wanted to go to pursue um, my FMP and I knew that I didn't want to continue to travel. So I was looking for a job and apparently I found um, I stumbled to this current clinic where I, I am. Uh, it was fairly new, open. it opened up. I applied and I got the job as a team nurse. A year later, when I was able to settle and I was comfortable with my role, I decided to apply for my MP. I enjoy working at that clinic. It's a little bit different from fee-for-service as a traditional family nurse, I mean, traditional medicine. Their model is value-based model. We only see 65 and older patients, typically geriatric, and we try to basically treat the patient as a whole and not as a number. And I really fell in love with their model. At that time, they didn't have any MP. It was mostly providers. And I was talking to the practice medical director there and told them that I was thinking about going to an MP uh, school. And I was hoping maybe if there was an opportunity for them to hire MPs in the future. And it was like, well, we don't know yet, but go ahead and, you know, finish up your school. And hopefully by the time you're done, maybe we'll have something. And Eventually, when I completed my um, FMP, I, I was offered the position there. Due to my clinical rotation, I wanted to see what does it look like working as a traditional um, clinics. I just didn't want to be seeing 20, 25 patients a day, having that busy schedule. Our schedule a little bit more organized. Typically, um, nurse practitioners there will be seeing lower acuity patients. Um, since we'll talk about it more, I know I'm going 
talking about more and I'm giving more information than I should have. But yeah, that was my journey. That's how I found this this job. And it's like 15 minutes from my house. And that was a plus. Yeah, that's that's definitely a big, a big bonus for sure. That's that's wonderful. So I think, you know, my next question is really to ask what everyone is struggling with at this moment. I think that it's important to kind of normalize that there are difficult periods of practice, of life. Um, and I think particularly for, for new grad NPs, I know that you can certainly uh, feel that struggle. Um, so I would love to know if uh, whoever's willing to share kind of what's what's hard right now. Yeah, we'll just keep it at that to start. What's what's hard right now? I'll go first because sure. <laughs> um, staying, getting my day done in a timely fashion. Um, I you know, um, well, I know we'll talk about this later. I mean, I do have something of a ramp up, but, um, I have pretty complex patients, um, a lot of, you know, and, and a new patient visit, they have so many problems and, you know, it's not, it's not nothing simple. And so really just trying to get everything that they need done in a, you know, in a timely manner and still in any way stay on my schedule has been very challenging for me. And is it more so, is it more so the charting or more so the actual patient visit? <laughs> oh, I don't even chart at work. <laughs> I go home. I still have to chart from yesterday. No, just the patient visit. <laughs> so if you say, if you add that in, then I'm totally not timely. But yeah. <laughs> well, at least you can laugh about it. Right. And it's not forever. Okay. That this phase does not last forever for sure. Clinical confidence for me, for sure. I'm always afraid I'm missing something. So I am very mindful of the fact that I overorder. I overorder a lot of diagnostics. It's a problem. I come into so many results in my inbox every single morning. It's a lot to comb through. It's a lot of unnecessary. I'm starting even just two and a half months in. I'm realizing like, oh, all of these are normal. All of these are normal. All of these are normal. <laughs> I will say I've caught a couple different uh, cancer diagnoses by doing this. So, and I. I just actually last week um, had a patient who was supposed to be a virtual visit for a cough, um, but she was uh, post C-section like four or five days prior to that. And I had a bad feeling. So always trust your nurse instincts. So I had her come to clinic because I just was like, something doesn't feel right about this. Um, and she was complaining of swelling and her checked her blood pressure there in her car because she had a cough. So we can't see her in clinic. Um, and it was 193 over 103. So she had postpartum preeclampsia. And I totally would have missed it had I not been so scared of everything. So it's it's kind of a <laughs> it's a catch-22. <laughs> so a blessing and a curse, we'll call yes, it. It is. It truly is. <laughs> well, it's good because, you know, you're kind of like starting with, okay, this is my very, very wide net for everything, uh, but you're learning from it, right? And and you will learn to kind of connect the dots. Okay, you know, my gut was right, or these results really aligned with the physical exam and the history. And and over time, you will, you know, have more, um, be able to be more prudent with your with your ordering once you get the feedback from actually doing it yourself. And that's how we figure out our own, our own style and our own special sauce is like, we have to actually, it's one thing to learn about it, but we have to actually do it and, and get that feedback before we can really feel more comfortable. So thank you for sharing. I definitely agree with the clinical confidence. I think that's the main thing. Um, I miss the confidence that I had as a nurse because it, you know, that level of was like, well, I don't, why aren't they ordering this medicine or this test? And now that it's coming from me, I'm like, oh God, what if they have this side effect or what if this isn't correct? So, and whenever I graduated, I thought I knew anemia, like, sure, I'll be fine in hematology. The oncology part will be hard, but God, there's so much more like in depth to it. So it's just definitely like, there's just so many guidelines, which is a good thing to be able to follow that. But I'm constantly asking myself, like, did I check everything that I needed to check? Like, am I missing anything? It's just every day I'm like mentally exhausted. I don't have the physical exhaustion that I did as a nurse. So it's it's just weird being the decision maker now. And you're just, I don't know, just constantly second guessing myself. Yeah. And those decisions take a lot of energy. Mm -hmm. You know, like if you've never before experienced decision fatigue, I mean, be a new grad NP, right? Or be an NP at all. Uh, <laughs> really, it just gets kind of, you have different coping mechanisms and you kind of know what you need throughout your day to energize you through. But yeah, I think, 
you know, probably everyone um, who's attending now has been in that state of, I just, I can't make another darn decision because I'm just so depleted. So I think that's, that's really a relatable. And, and, and the goal isn't necessarily to avoid that completely, but to kind of manage expectations and, and, and figure out how to, how to work around that a little bit and, and put things in place so that maybe you don't have to do, make so many decisions at the end of your workday for sure. I tell my husband, don't ask me what's for dinner. Cause I can't make that decision. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I feel that for sure. For sure. Mona, I know you haven't started yet, but I'm, I'm sure that you can still maybe tell us something that, that you're struggling with now as you prepare to start. Yeah, sure. I think, I feel like I may be, maybe struggling with taking my nurse's hat off and putting my, MP, my new, you know, MP hat on. My situation is going to be a little bit different because I will be working with the same team and that same team knew me as a registered nurse or a team nurse. And now I will be making, you know, higher level decisions. So I think it may be a little bit of confusion there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, um, and expecting that, you know, expecting that to happen, I think is a good place to be. And, and also you kind of hit on a good point. Like you're, you're working with your same team. So one day they see you as one role and and the next day they're going to see you uh, as a different role. So you may have to, you may have to work a little bit harder to, to make your role clear to your colleagues. I, I think you're smart to anticipate that that will be a little bit of a challenge. For sure. Can I add one thing to that, Amanda? Totally. totally. Sorry. I think another um, struggle I'm experiencing, I'd never worked with medical assistants before. Um, I'd, I'd worked, I actually take that back. I had worked with one um, in an urgent care setting um, through grad school, but um, it was completely different dynamics and delegation in urgent care compared to primary care. Um, that's definitely a struggle for me because it's who do they answer to? How do I kind of communicate with them? How do I get them to do what I need them to do? And how do we work on the same level? It's there, there's a lot of dynamics with that. So, mm. um, that's, a, that's another thing. If you're transitioning from like an acute care setting or urgent care setting into a primary care specialty, just learning the different flow and also being a new grad is challenging. There's just so many layers, right? But so yeah, I'm working through that with my mentor actually. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Because, you know, if you are so, so yeah, if you're working with medical assistants, you're delegating and you're leading um, because, you know, you're, even if you're not their direct supervisor, you're still, you're still leading them. And so it's like, how do I confidently lead them when I may not know what the heck I'm doing <laughs> myself? You know, like if I'm, if I'm already lacking confidence in general, like, is that going to come across? And um, I think that, you know, as you as you learn the different styles of the medical assistants and you learn kind of what parts of your communication uh, are more effective than others and, and just being sure to um, communicate your appreciation and, and make sure that they know that you're relying on them, you know, that they're, they're integral to everybody's success, you know, hyping them up a little bit can be a really good strategy to really have them on your team, you know, thanking them, you know, you made my day so much easier by having all my patients roomed on time. Just like little things like that, I think can go a long way and, and kind of recognizing that, yes, while you're technically, you know, above them in the the hierarchy of your, your practice, like this is their job too. And, and they probably want to do a good job and, and feel valued and, and love their jobs. So I think that's a really great point. Hey friend, this episode is brought to you by my membership community, the NP Society. If you are ready to become the NP you always wanted to be, then the NP Society is the place for you. This is a community that is designed for nurse practitioners and students to thrive beyond the clinical setting. This is a safe space for you. Membership includes access to our off Facebook chat community, as well as weekly virtual events that include guest expert masterclasses, social events, self-care classes, and clinical roundtable discussions. This is the first organization that puts the professional, that's you, at the center, and I cannot wait to meet you inside. To choose your membership level, head to thenpsociety.com or click the link in the show notes. Again, that's thenpsociety.com, and I hope to see you on the inside.
Let's move on to talking a little bit about orientation. Uh, This is definitely a question that you all probably had before you were job searching. And I know a lot of students have uh, about kind of like, what does orientation look like typically? So I'd love to hear specifically about all of your orientations and, um, you know, did you feel it was enough time? Did you have uh, a particular schedule? I think um, if I can go first, sorry guys. Um, I think I'm a little bit of an anomaly because my clinical site, I served like 600, 700 hours there. So had I not done that, my ramp up period of orientation probably would have looked much different. So the first couple of days were very much about like the logistics of, of becoming a mid-level provider um, within my health system, just like handling EHR stuff, just getting appropriate licensures for like Dragon and putting in my auto text and my templates in the computer. I had a, a couple team meetings to cover coding, uh, annual wellness visits. Uh, they, they really do a good job about educating new grads on like things that we're going to touch on in, in clinic, things that we don't really hit on hard in, in peace school, like an annual wellness visit, like all the boxes you have to, to check in order to cover your, your note and um, the charges. So that lasted about two or three days. I shadowed the physician one day and I shadowed uh, the nurse practitioner one day, very much like a clinical experience. Um, and then my second week, I took a patient an hour for a period of time. And then it just kind of increased from there. But yeah, so orientation, I don't, I don't know if that's really considered an orientation or not, but that's kind of how, how, what mine looked like. What's your schedule look like now in terms of your patients per hour and all that? So um, about the third weekend, I started seeing a patient about every 30 minutes. I had less in the morning and less in the afternoon than what I do now, but now it's every 30 and then I get an hour lunch. So I see roughly, it just depends on the day, like 14, 16, 17 max, um, which is nice. It, I don't feel like it's in, well, it depends on the day. Actually, I take that back. If it's a lot of hospital follow-ups and a, a couple really heavy new patients, then it's a lot, but for the most part, it's good. Good. So it feels manageable to you. Yes, very point. much. Very good. much. Yes. Good. So mine is kind of weird because it took forever for the credentialing process. And just whenever I thought it was done, like there was another thing to be signed or set up. So uh, I'd probably say probably at least the first month or six weeks I had to, or was given the opportunity to follow with the physician. Um, So we do the infusion center. He's supposed to be there on Mondays and Wednesdays in the morning. And then I am in charge on Tuesday, Thursday, Friday in the morning and then have patients in the office. So, you know, before I could have the credentialing through the hospital, I had to follow him. I wouldn't be able to see patients by myself. But then once I got all that checked off, then I started in like the infusion center by myself on those um, Tuesdays, Thursdays, Fridays. So that was a little weird, but of course I always had him to call or I always had him as a resource. So that was fine. And then I slowly started to get patients in the afternoon um, and they give me like a half hour slot. And honest, right now it'll ramp up, but it's been very wide range. It could be only two patients in the afternoon. It could be five. So it varies greatly. Um, and then we also go to like an offsite clinic every other Thursday. And I actually did that this week, which is really helpful to the patients who live farther away than our like home office. Um, so that went really well. And then we see inmates every alternating Tuesdays <laughs> and it's a little confusing, but I haven't done that quite by myself yet. Cause most of those patients are like new diagnosed, you know, cancer. And so he has to go through, you know, the chemo regimen in detail. So I haven't done that quite yet, but overall, I feel like it's gone well, but I feel like I was trained properly. Now it's just more like the clinical knowledge that I have to get used to. <laughs> Yeah, no, that sounds, that sounds good. It sounds like you are, you're definitely progressing, you know, down the line of, you know, beyond orientation, but, you know, getting more, more and more comfortable with the role, which I think is, is great, especially because it's such a specialized role. And it sounds like the physician uh, is really supportive and accessible, which I think is ultra important uh, in a role as specialized as yours. So that's awesome. Super blessed with a super patient and he's always willing to teach me. And then the staff has also been amazing. So very, very blessed in that sense. That's so great. That's awesome. Alyssa, tell me about your orientation. 
Yes, let me unmute. So since I did vaccine clinic for a while, um, it wasn't any problem to get all my credentials and all that stuff because you know I had that all that time. So by the time that I actually got to go to clinic, I guess I shadowed for like part-time, like a couple days a week for a couple weeks, which honestly, like I didn't find tremendously helpful. I kind of found it a little bit awkward, but then they did ramp me up. So I saw for the first week, one patient an hour. And then I'm sorry. Yeah. One patient an hour, but like four patients in the morning and four patients in the afternoon and then five and then six and then seven. And now, um, so I guess since like the first, like after like the first six weeks, like I've been at like around 16 patients a day and I'll be there for six months, but I do have to constantly remind them not to overbook me because like they want to, and I'll come in and I'll be like, why do I have 20 patients on my schedule? You know, I mean, they were, I was, this is what I was promised. So I just have to have a continuing conversation about not booking me more than I'm supposed to be. And is that, is that easy for you? I know that wouldn't be easy for me. Like I'm by nature, not very confrontational. I'd probably be like, excuse me, okay, so there's an error. Again, when I worked in real estate, like my first job, like I literally write out what I had to say when I wanted to or talk to my boss, right? Like write it down on paper and practice it. So I feel like over the years, like I've gotten a little bit better and I know how important it is to kind of put my like stakes in the ground now, or it's like, um, if I go forward and like allow more, I'm never going back. So I feel like in order to protect myself and my sanity, like I just need to do it, you know? So it hasn't been a problem. And I mean, I can try to be polite about it, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, a prime example of boundaries for anyone who was in our, um, our burnout and, discussion and last night. We talked a lot of, about that. Of boundaries. Oh, so Shelly answered. So I usually spend one to two hours a night in charting, unfortunately, but that's the way it goes for me now. Yeah. And, and, and hopefully that won't be, won't be forever. And, and, you know, that protected 16 patients a day is for that period of time is hopefully going to be the time that you need to be able to get to the point where you can do everything in, in your day with minimal, um, with minimal work at home. I know sometimes inevitably that spills over even when you have years of experience, but I think that's great that you have that kind of protected time so that's wonderful. Mona, do you know if you were going to have an orientation period and, and what it's going to look like? Funny that you asked that, Amanda. I just had a meeting with my um, clinical team manager and my medical director on Friday just to kind of see how my schedule will looks like. And they said, well, Mona, you're not going to need an orientation. You already know the model. You already know how to operate the system. It's more like of me learning how to navigate things as a provider from, you know, charting, knowing where to enter the diagnosis code or where to order the medications from. So, um, and then I will be doing a lot of shadowing. I kind of have an idea of how many patients I will be seeing once I'm up and running. I probably will be seeing around 12 patients a day. I will be sharing a panel with my um, delegated provider who typically have at least about six, 600 patients uh, now. So um, we have our patients categorized differently. So we have uh, emergent patients. They normally are frequent we, you know, hospitalized patients, we mark them as emergent. And then we have a high acuity patients who are more complicated patients that will be handled by my delegated provider. And I will be seeing mostly medium, low acuity patients, some walk-in, but typically we don't have walk-in. We try to schedule all of our patients as a same day, next day appointments. So I'll be taking over those appointments as well. It sounds like you will have a huge advantage um, just by being familiar with how the whole place operates, you know, and, and Alyssa, you probably got that advantage too from, it sounds like you're, you know, the vaccine clinic was in the same kind of setting. So I, I think that's great. Like, because that, I think that sometimes part of the the battle is just knowing, okay, how, how do things work here? What's the flow? Who do I talk to about this? Where is this located? Like what type of patients are we seeing and when, and when's my lunch and all these, and all these things that you learn during a typical orientation period. So that's great that you'll be able to kind of jump over figuring those things out. So you can focus just on your, on your clinical transition. So 
That's awesome. So we talked a little bit about ramp up schedule. I'd love to know, maybe we can combine this question so that we get through everything. Uh, do any of you have a mentor at work or outside of work? And are you working with any other NPs in your practice? So um, I do have a mentor in the MP society, um, Audrey uh, Creek, and she's phenomenal. Um, she's actually helping me with the, the MA issues that I'm having. She taught me the, the sandwich um, effect where you like kind of what you were mentioning. You start Compliment by, sandwich. Yes. Yes. So like you compliment them. You fill in the meat with, uh, hey, these are the issues. These are the things we need to work on. And then you finish it, you know, with, but you're great. You're doing a good job. We can get there. It's just going to take time. It really does work. I just used it actually on Thursday to address some issues with my MA and um, it seemed to help a lot. So yes, have a mentor. And then I also work with another nurse practitioner who's been practicing for 10 years. She's been in this specific clinic for eight years. And then I work with a physician. So there's three of us and we have a a panel size, I think of like 3,500. So yeah. Yeah. So one nurse practitioner and then a mentor. And then my, the nurse practitioner I work with is phenomenal. Her and I share an office together. She's very, very helpful. Um, she never gets annoyed with my questions and there's a lot of them. So she's great. She's great. That's awesome. Sounds like that really helps with your kind of level of comfort and ease during this. That's, that's awesome. I wouldn't say that I have a mentor. Like I've talked with other nurse practitioners, but they're not in the same field as I am. It's not like we meet or anything. And I don't really feel like I should consider the clinician I work with as a mentor. Um, I did talk with um, his previous nurse practitioner and that she's, I think she still lives in Indiana, but moved farther away. Um, And she called me one day and that was really helpful. And she said that I can reach out to her anyway, but I wouldn't say I have like a designated mentor. (laughs) It sounds though that you, I mean, I think you could call the physician that you work with a mentor, you know, if (laughs) it's a different type of mentor, right? Like when you're, when you're talking with people at your workplace, it's kind of hard to talk about struggles at your workplace, right? You, that's kind of best left for, uh, for another person or another, um, conversation. So Alyssa, how about you? Yes. So I, there, I think there are one, two, there's three other. And so, okay. I will say our clinic is huge. We actually have like seven or eight different locations. So we have a lot of providers, but in our specific clinic, I think there are three other NPs, all of whom have like five years of experience. And at least two of them are very helpful and very, and, um, and very nice. They're all helpful, but actually my boss, I do have like 30 minutes a week, which is again, another thing that I've had to make sure is protected time because I took it off my schedule and I was like, whoa, I was promised this time. So anyway, so I meet with her 30 minutes a week. And then if, she, if, if she's there, like on Friday, I had a bunch of patients I had questions about, I asked her questions. So she actually came from an academic setting before this. And so she's, she's a physician. Um, and so she is, is very helpful, but also talking about like workplace struggles and not like talk about that. I actually also meet with Liz Rohr from um, the real world MP Wonderful. Um, every week. And that has been really helpful too, to kind of get another opinion as well. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think it, it can be really helpful, whether it's someone you meet with formally or, you know, a community group that you're in or classmates that you talk to, you know, definitely my recommendation for everyone is to kind of establish like your, your NP friends who you can talk to, who will give you an objective ear, who can give you support and solutions and kind of listen to you um, events so that you can process through things. Because sometimes if it's a problem at work, like it may be something you'd be able to solve on your own, or it might be a mindset issue, or sometimes you just need to complain about it, right? And and just like get it off your chest. And uh, and the workplace isn't always the best the best place for that. And I was actually also going to say I'm on the oh, I'm actually president elect of our local like um, NP group, and I was talking to one of the girls at our meeting the other night, and she works for a smaller local, also federally qualified health center. And I have to admit, like my, my setup seemed a lot better than hers. I'll be totally honest. So I felt pretty lucky, you know, and talking to her about the support that I have. That's great. That's awesome. Um, Mona, are there other NPs who work at the clinic that you're at? Not at my current clinic. I will be the um, only MP at my current clinic, but we do have other um, MPs who work at a different locations that I have access to as well. And I, I do have a, a doctor mentor uh, outside of work that I've known for almost 12 years. 
who has a 30 plus years of experience that I um, kind of talk to um, on a weekly basis. And then my delegated physician, I've been working with him for about three years as his nurse. So um, we have a great relationship as well. But I am so happy that I found the NP Society Circle and I'm certain that I will be um, booking a one-on-one mentorship with one of the NPs. Because I do want to kind of have that NP mentorship versus the doctor because they don't we don't share the same struggle Um, so yeah so that's why well it sounds like you're well set up at this point and yeah we're we're looking forward to hearing hearing how things go after you after you get started for sure so I have uh, one last question that I'll throw to the group and uh, just want to give anyone who's attending a, a heads up please feel free to put some questions in the Q and a, cause we'll probably have a couple minutes uh, for that before our next session. Um, but my last question is whether any of you would do anything differently up until now, either in your transition to practice or your job search or your job selection. I'd love to hear that. I would not change anything. I definitely don't have that feeling whenever I was, you know, leaving the bedside, I would dread going into work just cause like what's going to happen today. And now like I go home every night and I will just study my patients, but I feel like I have even more of a purpose. So like, I want to do that. I don't dread going into work. So I I don't regret it at all, even though this was not like a prior um, area of medicine that I did. It's very new and exciting. And um, I just, I, I just love it. So that's awesome. Thank you for sharing. I'll piggyback on Allie. Um, I agree with her. I don't think I will change anything right now. I am lucky that I have, I'll be, um, my clinic is only like 15 minutes. I don't want to commute longer. (laughs) I will have a set schedule from eight to five. I will have a regular life (laughs) as a normal human being. So I'm, I'm just, I think this is a good fit for me right now. Awesome. Um, other than wishing that I knew Spanish, mm-hmm. no, there's nothing that I would really do differently. I will also say that I teach some like nursing lab classes and I only work four days a week. And for me, that makes also a big difference because I have a day to do all the things, to catch up on charting, to do my kids' doctor's appointments. And honestly, for me, that makes a really big difference and and makes it, you know, almost like not that it's not that work is, I love work. I, I mean, I, I really enjoy it, but it's, it's intense. It's very overwhelming at times. And so I feel like that makes it a little more palatable, so to speak, like having that day off during the week. Yeah. So a specific question for you, do you work four tens or are you less than full-time? I work 32 hours. Nice. That's great. And, you know, for anyone who's uh, listening or watching or attending, that can be a negotiable thing. You know, if you're offered a 40 hour position um, and you know that you for sure don't want to work 40 hours and you, you know, financially can get by with less than that, uh, don't be afraid to ask uh, in in the process, you know, can this be a, a 32 hour week position? Or, you know, if a clinic's open and has patient care hours that span 10 hours, um, you know, asking for four tens, uh, if you want, that can be a big satisfier for a lot of people, especially for folks who have other things to do that need to happen during the week. Several of my coworkers do four tens. Like that is an option. Our clinic is open those days, but honestly, like piecing together a little bit of teaching a little, a couple other days in terms of like money, like it makes up for the day, you know, I mean, so, and as most nurses have 27 jobs, you know, as it is so, but it does make a difference to have a little bit of variation. And I really like teaching the nursing classes. So. Yeah, that's great. That's a nice, it's a nice way to mix up, you know, how you're using your brain and, and how you're spending your, your time. That's awesome. Shelby, would you do anything differently? A couple things. So I just want to reinforce the, the scheduling aspect, like advocating for yourself as a new provider, for sure. Cause my first weeks, I, um, I accepted a position of Monday, Tuesday, off Wednesday, work Thursday, Friday, and I was in clinic from eight to six. So I was working four tens, but I had Wednesdays off. Um, and I thought it was going to be fantastic. And in the first week or two, it was nice because it allowed me to be off on Wednesday, but I really just kind of caught up on charting. Um, and it was just a break. Um, and then I figured out that that wasn't a great fit because I was home later. My husband had to handle the kids more and this whole transition to being becoming a nurse practitioner was supposed to help that. Um, I wasn't supposed to be working so much. I was supposed to be home in the evenings and 
helping with dinner and the children and um, it wasn't fair to him. So even though I really enjoyed it in terms of having Wednesdays off, um, I went to my office manager and was like, hey, this isn't working well for me. I really need to be off earlier in the evening. And she was, I was really, I'm not confrontational at all. Um, she was very open to it. She's like, whatever you need, we'll make it work. So now I work eight to 4.30. My last patient's actually at four. So I complete the visit normally by 4.30. And then I have the last like 30 minutes to an hour to finish up charting. Then I can go home and I don't have to chart. And then on Fridays, I get off at 2.30. So nice. I work Monday through Thursday, a full day, and then kind of like a half day on Friday, which is working splendidly right now. So I don't think I'd want to change that at all. In terms of changing anything for job search or no, I don't, I don't think I would so much because I feel really, really fulfilled and happy in the position that I'm in right now. I love my colleagues. I love that my clinic is five minutes from my house. I will say what I wish I had done differently um, in terms of my transition to practice. I did a lot of research and watched a lot of um, videos on imposter syndrome. So I, I invested a lot of effort into it, like trying to prevent that from being so heavy and such a burden. And I, I've really invested in myself and my own mental wellness at this point because of it. And I just wish I had done that sooner. I wish I didn't wait until becoming an NP to really um, put forth that effort because it's helping every aspect of my life, my marriage, my being a parent. So yeah, I think that's my, that would be the only thing I would change. Yeah. I, I love that you say that, um, especially because I'm sure that I mean, I know that I've observed plenty of NPs who have become NPs for the sole reason that they are burnt out as RNs or there's some sort of dissatisfaction in their life. And unfortunately, becoming an NP doesn't always solve that. And and it's often kind of like the inner work, so to speak, and, and the work on ourselves that we need to do to get over those those challenges. So yeah, I mean, I wish that we could prescribe that type of thing for for everyone in a perfect world. I know that not everyone has the time or space or energy to invest in themselves that way, but happy to hear you say that. And I I would agree. I co-sign. I co-sign that. When I was a new grad, the thing I would have done differently or or the one regret I had with my first job was that it was so far from my house. Um so I heard a few of you mention, you know, how you love that your your job is, you know, 15 minutes or less away. And I, I took a job that was a solid hour each way, which for me at the time I thought, Oh, you know, it'll be fine. And and granted I didn't have kids, so it wasn't as difficult as it would be now in my life, but ultimately I got tired of that real quick. And that was certainly part of my decision to move on to my second job was, was, uh, I took a job that was literally five minutes from my house and I was a lot happier there. So they actually offered me like a clinic initially, I was supposed to work at a clinic that was closer, part of our like whole like office, but like a different clinic. But then when I went to start, there was no availability there. So I am in a clinic farther from our house. It's still not horrible. It's 20 minutes without traffic and like 30-ish with traffic. So it's not horrible, but it's not quite as good as the other one was, which was like 12 minutes. Wow. (laughs) Well, maybe that will be an option um, in the future. Um, We do have a submitted question. Is anyone using NextGen electronic record? No. If any attendees are using NextGen, you can comment. I haven't used that one personally. Uh, there was a back and forth in the chat about templates and 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 efficient charting. Eclinical Works, Cerner. I've only used Epic for like the past ten years myself. I will say though, uh, and this is for NP Society members, in the new year we will be having a masterclass about becoming an efficient charter. So we're going to have a, a, there's a charting coach who's coming to speak to us oh, all about, wait. all about charting. I'm, I'm super stoked about it actually. So I think that'll be really, uh, really helpful. So, all right. If there are uh, any other questions I'll give or, or comments um, from you, our panelists, as we, as we wrap up this, the session. I was just going to say, Shelby, you can um, share your like imposter syndrome resources. I've listened to, you know, podcasts and stuff, but I still feel like I struggle with it every now and then. Um, and I definitely agree that I should have been working on this like in school. So <laughs> get a mentor, like an actual, I, I highly recommend it. It really does help a lot. And then also just like a personal therapist is also really nice. <laughs> I've, I've really been thinking that I've needed that for a while too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like once or twice a month, even, I mean, I know sometimes it's hard with new schedules um, and in term, like in terms of balance, but even just seeing someone once a month for me is, it's great because then I can unload and it's yeah. not, I don't have to unload at work. I don't have to unload on my husband. It's just, yeah. it's 
perfect. It's absolutely perfect. I, try, I love my husband to death. I try to like talk about the stuff that he doesn't understand. No. So <laughs> it does not help. And it, it's all like internalized stuff that I just need right. to work with. So. <laughs> Mentor yeah. and I mean, therapist. <laughs> I mean, and just in terms of the job search, if anyone is still looking for jobs, just keep plugging, you know, just think like Amanda always says, like, think outside the box, mm-hmm. keep plugging, reach out to everyone and anyone, you know, you know, that's my two cents. <laughs> for those who have mentors, will you share again how you found yours? MP Society. It's solid for that. <laughs> Definitely. So um, Liz Rohr from the real world NP. So she also worked, I don't know if she still quite does anymore, for um, a, um, a federally qualified health center. And so she put out like requests saying, does anyone want to, you know, to have a mentor? And, and I applied and because we had similar experiences, she took me on. So, Yeah. Jamie, there are a couple ways, a couple different formats for mentor um, experiences. You can um, have like a formal mentor that's either assigned to you or something that you invest in, you know, like a paid mentor, or, you know, you can use networking and um, attending conferences or events to kind of informally find a mentor and, and kind of have more of like a mentor friendship. And there's also peer mentoring. So, you know, joining um, some sort of group or some sort of community where you can um, mentor each other, whether that's classmates or, you know, another type of group, you know, we do that in the MP Society. Those are like the three different formats of mentoring that that I think are the best uh, the best ways. And and that's a good segue because in five minutes, we're going to do a speed networking event. And that can be a good way to uh, find a mentor too, or at least connect with a peer who you may be able to chat with and and have kind of in your corner, part of your team. I think that's really what we're, you know, what Shelby was mentioning, you know, have a mentor, find a therapist, you know, get, get people on your, on your team. I think, you know, can't understate the importance of that for sure. This was wonderful. Thank you everyone for, for sharing your stories and your experiences. Super, super valuable and appreciate you. Well, that does it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in and making it all the way to the end. If you found today's episode helpful, would you take a minute and give me a rating or review on Apple Podcasts? It will truly help other nurses find this show and know that it's worth listening to. For more information about this episode, as well as a place to submit your questions or suggestions for future episodes or guests, head to nursebecoming.com. I cannot wait to connect with you again soon. And until next time, remember, I am always rooting for you.